Hey, um, I need to pray real quick just because I need it and you get to listen to me. So I'd rather be prayed up instead of you just hearing me. So let's pray. God, we love you. And uh, as the words of that song spoke, that you taught gravity how to control the tides of the oceans. Just such a beautiful lyric, God. And we pray this morning as we watched as all the gross, ugly, nasty, messy stuff was, was of yesterday, covered up by that snow today. I pray, Lord, that you would hover over us uh, like that dove. Hover over us like that snow and make us clean this morning. Give us ears to hear your word, Lord Jesus. And we pray that uh, you would awaken us and stir us and use us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I've got a new show I'm watching on TV. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this show or not. It's called Doomsday Preppers. Anybody seen this show? It's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's a whole other side of awesome that I can't even begin to talk about. But it's unique because what happens is, is you've got these people, and there was actually a guy yesterday I watched an episode. He was from Pittsburgh here. But they've got these people who are preparing for the end of the world. Now, the reality of it is, when you look at the definition of what a prepper actually is, if you have life insurance, you're considered a prepper because you're preparing for something to happen, Right? These people take it to a whole nother extreme. They take it from life insurance to the guy who bought a missile silo that goes into the earth, an ICBM, old intercontinental ballistic missile silo that's like hundreds of feet deep. This guy buys this thing. He turns it into this fortress. And I'm not talking like, okay, it's a fortress because it's hard to get into. I'm talking like he put blow torches on the sides of the doors. So if you broke in and you weren't welcomed in, you were met with a fiery welcome. <laughs> this guy takes and he stockpiled like a three to 4,000 gallons worth of water deep inside the bowels of his missile silo. Can you say bowels and missile silo? I guess that works. But anyway, so you've got these, this guy who's prepping for this. He, he's bought thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of dried food, and, and he's preparing for the end of the world. This particular gentleman believed that there would be an economic collapse in America that would actually cause looting and, and all this chaos. And, and so I don't know where you stand on that. I do believe in being prepared, and it's all good. Um, but this is an extreme. I mean, I, wish, I really encourage you to watch it. It's on the, the National Geographic. It's a fantastic show. But you've got these people that they prepare by accumulating stuff. Um, and it's really great. There's an, there's an advertisement that is, since the show started, there's an advertisement that comes on halfway through the show for a company that actually sells dried food products in storage bins. And I bet they're making a killing right now. But we have this concept of prepping, of being prepared. You know, Brad and Vicky are having a baby. Surprise. You didn't know that. Brad and Vicky are having a baby. So uh, I'm sure they're prepared, right, parents? Right? I, I talk to a lot of um, couples who are, you know, the, the guy will come to me and say, well, I'm thinking about getting married, and I'm thinking about proposing to my fiancé, but I want to make sure I'm prepared. And my question, the first question I always spout back to them is, what do you mean by prepared? And then I usually get the, this list. Well, I want to have the job. I want to have the money. I want to have the house. I want to have this. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. And I think in my head, because I've been married for over 11 years now, wow. She still got it. So I've been married, <laughs> been married this long. And I know that in my head I had this list of things to be prepared for, but I'm telling you 11 years later, I was not prepared for marriage. Can I get an amen from anybody? Right? 
And so, so what happens is, is we have this idea of what being prepared looks like that sometimes can be very healthy. I do, hey, if, you, if, if you're worried about something happening and you're prepared, praise God. If you, if you can find a healthy way to do that, that is fantastic. If you want to have certain goals that you want to meet before you have children, praise God, do that. Before you get married, great. But I'm here to tell you, you can create a list a mile long, and there's certain things in your life you're just never going to be prepared for. Right? And so, Brad and Vicki will we'll pray. <laughs> Hey, this morning we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be prepared. Um, Because in America we have this concept of prepping, of being prepared, that that is really something different than I think this scripture is actually talking about. And so, you know, I read a book, uh, I had my shoulder rebuilt a couple years ago, and a friend of mine, Kirk Cubius, gave me this book, King's Cross, and I read through it. Fantastic book that takes us through, through the life of Jesus in the book of Mark. And so I'm going to be quoting this book a lot this morning. And I just, I'm basically telling you right now, Tim Keller wrote the book. I'm giving him all the credit for the sermon this morning. And, and, and John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, these guys really wrote a knockout thing for the Lord. And we're going to dive through this this morning. So if you have an opportunity, we will have copies available in the bookstore. You can pick one of those up. It really doesn't do anything for us. It's just really good Uh, for you to read. You know me, I'm always encouraging you to read the scripture, not books about the scripture, but this is a really good one to read. So why don't we go ahead and jump into the scripture this morning, and uh, man, I just want to apologize first. The the English language has really let us down uh, as far as when we translate from the original writings of the Bible, we have butchered uh, some things. And, And not butchered in a bad way, but butchered in the aspect that in Hebrew and in some of the Greek words, there's just such potent words that in English it really just doesn't do it justice. Um, and so I'm going to stop a couple times as I read through this scripture because there's a lot of them in this scripture this morning. This is written by a, by a guy named John Mark who was basically listening to Peter. The, the people believe that Peter was giving his eyewitness accounts to this guy and he wrote these things down to write the book of Mark. And he starts out with very specific words. I can't begin to tell you how specific the words are that the writers of Scripture, when when they use them, every word is on purpose. Even words that we might not pay any attention to, every word is on purpose. So we're going to jump into this. Mark 1.1 says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I already have to stop. Because when we hear those words, the concept of Jesus as the Son of God just makes sense, right? From the time that we were born, we celebrate Christmas, the birthday of Jesus. It just is what it is. That's, that's just, you know, you hear the word Jesus, he's the Son of God. But to the original hearers of this scripture passage, to the original hearers of this word, when, when Mark makes the claim that Jesus is the Son of God, this is a very Very, very, very profound and serious claim. Because not only is he saying that Jesus is the Messiah, because, you know, Elijah, there was some that believed that Elijah was going to come back, but he wasn't the Son of God. So now you're telling me this Messiah is literally the Son of God, that this Messiah is literally God. And so when we read that first sentence there, let us not miss that, that weight of that. He then goes on in verse 2 to say, It is written in Isaiah the prophet. So Mark immediately goes back to the Old Testament, to the Bible. This was the Bible he was working from. Isaiah 40. 
It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Again, to us, cool, John the Baptist is going to be the guy that comes forward and announces Jesus and Jesus is the son of God. But again, to the original hearers of this, two things were just done. You just proclaimed the ultimate deity of Christ. And second, you've now tied Jesus back to the prophets in Isaiah. 500 years since this this prophecy was made in the book of Isaiah have gone by. Do you realize how long 500 years is? It's, It's long. It's long. And I mean, we think we're in a dry spell, right? 500 years have gone by since a prophet spoke. And now there's this John the Baptist, this camel hair wearing hippie from the woods who eats honeycomb that I'm sure looked crazy to people. And now he's coming out of the wilderness and he's saying, I'm going to prepare the way for the Lord. And we're hearing here that, that this idea of the Christ isn't a new one that John's talking about. They're actually saying this comes back from the prophets 500 years ago. You're telling me that Jesus was a concept 500 years before he's even baptized? So to someone hearing that in that day, that might be what they're kind of hearing. And John came and baptized in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. There's some revival happening. He's going out, John the Baptist is going out, and he's saying, there's a new thing going to happen. There is something awesome coming along. I'm here to tell you that Jesus, the Christ, is coming. And I'm going to tell you what, you think the word I'm preaching is good. Wait till you hear this guy. His word is so good. He's the, he is God. He's the Son of God. And when he comes, I'm going to tell you right now, I look like chump meat compared to this guy. I can't even untie his shoes. I'm that unworthy. Because Jesus is, is the ultimate. I'm going to prepare the way for him, like the prophet said. And Jesus is going to come, and he's going to set us free. Now, again, to a hearer that day, if you're a traditional Jew back in that day, you had a very specific set of agendas for Jesus when he showed up. You had a very specific mindset. When Jesus showed up, he was going to come down with a battle axe in one hand and a Bible in the other, like a famous reformer. And what he was going to do, he was going to liberate us from the Romans. He was going to set Israel on this high mount and make this great thing. He was going to come back and he was going to save us and we were going to rule the earth. And so there's all these expectations of what Jesus is going to be. Whose expectations are they? They're the people's expectations. And so John prepares the way and he says, this one is coming who is greater than I could ever begin to imagine. So in the hearts of the people, they're building up for this triumphant warrior. At the time, excuse me, uh, verse 7, honeycombs, you know, John the Baptist. Can you imagine what that would have looked like coming out of the desert? You know, wearing, wearing some camel hair, eating honeycombs. I mean, sure, he had a beard everywhere. And if you eat honey and you have a beard, that's a mess waiting to happen. And, and I'm just sure he smelled like peaches and was great. <laughs> so John, uh, wearing cl- uh, clothing made of ham- camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, making a proclamation of deity. At that time, in verse 9, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized 
by John in the Jordan. So even the Son of God obeyed the Lord. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. That's interesting. In those words, it says, again, this is where the English language has really let us down because it actually uh, makes reference to God the Father. In a moment, God's going to say to Jesus, you are my son whom I well pleased. And I don't know a, a son in here that doesn't long to hear that from their dad. But what happens is, is with the mentioning of that fluttering dove, to us, the dove is the ultimate sign of peace. I mean, we've got Noah's Ark. We think of the olive branch and the dove, and we think of doves and peace and happy and things like that. But to the original hearers of this word of God, when you hear mention of the fluttering dove, there's some very specific ways that, that the original language mentions that dove. It's not just this fluttering dove. In fact, when you go back to the creation account in Genesis 1-2, it says that God, the Spirit of God, hovered over the earth. And when you get down to what it's, the original language is saying, it's actually using the same word that is being used right here, that it was fluttering like a dove. The Spirit of God, he was fluttering like a dove above the earth. And now we see in Jesus' baptism, the Spirit fluttering above him as he did in creation. In fact, when you really think about the creation story and you think about the baptism and the anointing of Jesus' ministry, there's a lot of parallels that we can draw. Because at the creation, when you read the creation account, it just doesn't say God the Father was there. There's mention of the Spirit. There's mention of the Word, the Word who is Jesus. And in fact, at the creation of the world, there are three key players there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at the dedication of Jesus' ministry through this baptism, there are three key players who show up for this party. There's Jesus, the Son. There's the Father. And there's the Holy Spirit which fluttered over Jesus like a dove. And I'm floored as I studied this and I read this because it's like there's this whole opportunity and creation's being given a second chance. And to the original hearers of this word, this is groundbreaking, revolutionary. We can look back and say, we know Easter Sunday's coming. We know the story of Jesus. We know that he dies on the cross for our sins. And we know that Jesus passes that test. But to the people of that day, this is mind-blowing. They're they're, they're trying to comprehend what's being told to them. That the Messiah's here, and he's God. And now he's going to save our souls, and the Holy Spirit's descending on him. It goes on to say this. Saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It's interesting because when he looked at Adam, he said, It's good. And with Jesus, he says, I am pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and angels attended him. And again, when we read that, we we hear in the Mark account, we don't hear the actual temptations. But in the Matthew account of this same story, we do know that that Jesus was tempted with with power, with money, with, with all kinds of the kingdoms of the earth. 
And, and, and when he mentions the animals and Satan at the very end, again, we hear that and we go, oh, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he was having like a Disney princess moment and all the birds and the, and the deer showed up to kind of see what was going on. That's in fact not what he's saying at all. In fact, when they make mention of those animals and things being there and mentioning of the desert being the place where this temptation is happening for Jesus, what's happening is if you look at the creation of man, the the Garden of Eden was somewhere in a desert that we don't know about any longer. And, And there was animals and there was things surrounding Adam and Eve. In fact, there was this tree that God looked at and he told Adam, he said, if you embrace this tree, you will surely die. And in this garden scene, Adam is messed with and toyed with by Satan through an animal. And so to the original hearers, when the animal is mentioned here, that instantly shoots them back to the creation account. Now what they're hearing is not only do you tell me this Jesus guy was spoken of 500 years ago by the prophets, but now you're telling me, you have the gall to tell me, that the concept of the Christ, that Jesus, was part of the plan all along because he was there at the creation. The creation, Christianity, is not a new concept. It existed before Jesus set foot on this earth. It was part of God's plan. And now, Jesus is having this moment where he's going through the same temptations that Adam did. He's in the wilderness, and he's told, you're going to have to embrace this tree. He looks at his son. God looks at his son and says, if you embrace this tree, Jesus, you will surely die. And so what we have here this morning is we've got two trees. We've got this tree of the knowledge of good and evil that if we embrace this tree, if we think we know it all, if we think the world should revolve around our agenda and our plans like Adam and Eve got it way out of whack. They thought they were missing something. They were deceived into believing that God was holding out on them. And I'm here to tell you, if you are deceived by the enemy into thinking that the things of this world are going to complete you and make you whole, that they're going to fill that void you have, you are completely being misled. And I promise you, if you embrace this tree, you will die. But then we have the other tree. That God looked at his son and he said, if you embrace this tree, surely you will die, Jesus. And Jesus, with a completely different heart than what Adam had, said, because it is your will, Father, because I long to be in community with you, I will embrace the tree. Did you know that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist together in three persons in a way we can't even begin to understand? They, they exist in, in like a perfect community. They don't fight. They don't argue. They're not power hungry. It's, it's somehow, three, it's three in one. It's not tritheism. It's one God. C.S. Lewis refers to it as the dance. That it's like this beautiful dance that's going on. And you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're existing together, depending, loving, sharing, being with one another, being what we as a church should be with one another. In unison, and in harmony, embracing the tree, this tree, knowing it leads to death. Jesus was told by God, if you embrace this tree, surely you will die. And Jesus said, if it is your will, I will embrace the tree. 
And he climbed up on the cross of Calvary. He didn't have to go. He went for you and for me so that we could be given a second chance. Adam and Eve messed it up and Jesus came down and went through the same scenario so that he could set right what was broken. The Trinity is perfect community. I'm sure it broke God's heart to see his son die on that cross. But for Adam and Eve, the world revolved around them. For Jesus, the world revolved around God's plan. That community, that blessing of being in one with the Spirit and being in one with his Father. He embraced the King's cross. He was crucified and died. And I'm going to tell you right now, death can't contain that kind of love. And we know what happened two days later. Jesus got up from the grave and told Satan, you lose, we win. You can clap for that. And so what Mark is telling us in this little story is that John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for a victorious Jesus. He was sent to prepare the way so that you and I could choose, even though God, there's this whole great thing about how God works, but we have a choice between the cross of that tree and we've got a choice between this menangled sin tree over here. And we have to make a decision in our lives. Is the world going to revolve, is, the, is God going to revolve around me over there? Or am I going to revolve around God's plan and God's will over here? Do I want to be a part of that dance? John the Baptist is to prep. He's a prepper. He's to prepare the way of the Lord. But the only problem with this is this. As Americans, in our English understanding of the word prep, when we think of prepping, we think of prepping as as obtaining as much stuff as possible so that we can hang on for dear life and make it just long enough to survive. But the kind of prepping John the Baptist is talking about, he's not talking about just hanging on long enough so that we can survive. He's talking about prepping in such a way that you don't just live, you thrive. You please clap for that. Because church, we are in a moment in our history where we have to make the decision. Are we going to be a church that simply gets comfortable understanding we've had a lot of hard things going on in our church's past, right? There's been worse. There's going to be better. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is the moment where we as a body of believers have to decide if we're going to sit around and sulk in self-pity and enjoy this fruity tree over here. Or are we going to prep in such a way that we're going to endure during this time? And not only just endure, we're going to grow this church. We're going to see God's kingdom expanded past these walls. Because I'm telling you right now, we don't have a senior pastor. That doesn't matter because our senior leader is still the same guy, Jesus Christ, as he has always been. The mission and vision of the Word of God is still the same, to go out and to make disciples of all nations. Yes, we got a lot of stuff to figure out here. But you know what? That's just stuff. We'll work through that. If we're in a community in the dance, like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're centering around them, that stuff's going to work out. All I know is I have neighbors that, are, that don't know the Lord. I should be talking to them about that. I should be excited to share my faith because I want to embrace this cross, not this crazy cross that leads to ultimate death. The Hebrew word prepare that John uses here, it means to cleanse. 
It means to take junk out. So when we think of prepping, we think of hoarding and getting as much as we can, when the reality of it is, church, it is so much not about us right now. We need to ask God to cleanse us from within. We need to ask God to take the junk out of our lives right now so that we can see a clearer vision of where He's going and then follow Him. You want to know what this shirt means? 40 up. There is 40 days from the beginning of Lent to Easter. And, and I, I'm challenging you as a congregation that these can be the best 40 days this church has ever seen. That we can decide to sit here and we can moan and groan and talk about what happened this way and who did this wrong and who did this. Or we can become the men and women of God that we say we are and we can go out and win our world for Christ. As I said earlier, we have the same leader. We're asking you right now during these 40 days of Lent, we're asking you to 40 up with us. We're asking you to take a moment as a family and we want you to reflect on the fact, does your family revolve around God or does God revolve around your family? We want you to reflect and we want you to repent. We're all broken. We're all messed up. We've all fallen. We all need to repent. And then I want you to pray for God to renew your passion for him. I I, I look at so many high school students who when they first accept Christ, they're just so on fire for God. There's no reason that needs to die. If we believe that we serve this God that we say we serve, we have the key, we have the answer to all of life's problems. We should want to share this with each other. We've got to reflect We've got to repent. We've got to have a renewed sense of passion for, for the beautiful Jesus that died for us on the cross. We then got to take that. And hopefully you have some type of energy when you think about Jesus. Hopefully as Christmas grows closer and closer, you get so excited that you're, you're just, you're just, you don't have anything else you can do and you have to talk about it. Take the spiritual energy you have. Take this excitement you have about God and engage the people around you. Engage that neighbor that lives behind you that you've lived by for 10 years and you've never met. We have those, don't we? We need to engage as a body of believers. We don't need to sit still. We don't need to sit and see what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of crazy, weird stuff that's happened to this church, but that stuff is so small compared to all the amazing, awesome things that I have seen God do with this church. And I'm going to decide right now that I'm not going to focus on this little tree over here. We need to be focusing on what God is doing and get in the flow of that and follow him and be excited about it. You want to talk about reinvigorating some services. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. And I promise you, we're going to see God do things in this church and in this area, in this neighborhood that we can't even begin to imagine. We need to engage. We need to share. We need to verbally and physically be the hands and feet. We need to be with people, ministering to people. You guys are going to be the ministers of this. You're going to be far effective, better ministers than anybody that stands on this stage can ever be. You've got to have a readied heart, in season and out of season, living for Christ, being ready to share the good news of Jesus. 
Think about where you work, the places you go, the school you go to. You have such a great access to people who need to know the Lord. My job is simply to help equip and send you. And so I challenge you, are you going to 40 up with us? Or are you going to sit idle and watch as people struggle to make it through life and you have the answer? So that's our challenge to you as a church. We talk about preparing the way for the Lord. How are you going to prepare the way of the Lord in your family? Maybe it's more time in the scripture. Maybe it's more time together as a family. Maybe it's inviting a neighbor over. Maybe it's asking for forgiveness. I don't know. I just know that I believe God's got the best years of Christ Church ahead of it. And I'm anxious to see what he's going to do. And I don't want to sit around the corner and peek every now and then. I want to follow Jesus in this. I want to be excited. Do you know, I'm excited to invite people to church. I'm proud to invite people to church because of the way people love on them. That's how we should feel about one another. We should be caught up in that dance as well. So this Lenten season, church, can you 40 up with us? Can you prepare the way of the Lord by getting out of the way and engaging? Father, we love you. Oh, disturb us, Lord. Oh, help us so we can't even sleep until we seek you. Help us in such a way to just be on fire and passionate for you, God. When this church was started, it wasn't started to simply be here. It was started out of a courageous movement to to win people to Christ. And and for the love of God, Lord Jesus, please reinvigorate that in all of us. Let us have a hungering and a desire to see people come to know you. Because that cross that you died on is what we need to embrace. That is the death we need to have. Not something that a snake sells to us on a tree. So God, we pray right now for your anointing and your blessing. We pray that you would hover among this church like a dove, that you would flutter in each one of our souls, and that you would challenge us to love you. You love us as much now as you ever will, God. And and by us going out and serving, it doesn't make you love us any more or less, but it's an opportunity for us, God, to demonstrate how much we love you. So God, we just we give you this time. We thank you for these words in the book of Mark that show us that, the, that Jesus is not a new idea. That Jesus is, is older than 2,000 plus years. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been there since the beginning. And you love us. And so God, we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.